Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live is back with another podcast episode. We are, as you heard in the intro, a podcast of movement. We are for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who recognize that movement is part of what makes their life complete. What I've found is very, very frequently when I interview somebody who is excited about what they do and we really connect that they email me afterwards or I email them afterwards so I have the benefit of making a professional connection. In this case, today's guest came from Sam Callen of USA Fencing. Sam was an person that we interviewed earlier for Moving to Live, and he had some great information. So if you haven't checked out that podcast, go back and check out both parts. And I got an email from Sam about three weeks ago saying, hey, I just did a podcast for my podcast or an interview for my podcast with this lady who's doing some read stuff with moving, living, and learning for kids and even adults. And I think she'd be a good match for moving to live. So we are with Dr. Amanda Stanick. She is the owner operator of Move, Live, Learn, which is a company that believes that children ought to grow up in a community that supports their physical literacy journey. So if you've heard an earlier podcast episode with Rick Howard, you know that physical literacy and long-term athletic development so that kids learn activity and they move. It plays through for their life. And when they're adults, they move. And in the long term, they're healthier. Amanda, thanks for joining Moving to Live this morning. Thanks, Ben. It's really great to be here. Look forward to the conversation. So obviously, we want to find out more about Move, Live, Learn. And we also want to learn more about your story. But I think the best place to start with the podcast interview is to ask you to just give the quick down and dirty definition so people understand what we're talking about. What is physical literacy? Well, physical literacy is the competence and confidence to be physically active in a wide variety of environments to benefit yourself, others, and your community. And this is the definition that was adopted 
by developed by some professors at Brock University in Ontario, Canada, and it was developed adopted by the Board of Physical and Health Education Canada in 2006 when I was actually the Nova Scotia representative of that board. And Physical and Health Education Canada for the American listeners is the same type of organization plays the same role as Shape America or the old AFERD in the US. And so what what we were, they were trying to do at the time when they came to the board with this definition is said, look, this definition's coming up a little bit more in sport and so on. And so we want to make sure we have a definition that can be a strong foundation for all the different sectors. And so I really like the definition because it's not just about being athletic or being a good mover, but it also it includes the motivation and the competence piece. And building on that, it's not just to make one's health better, but how can you use it then in your, in society to help others and to even help your community? So I love this comprehensive definition that was adopted by PHE Canada and then with the new physical education standards in the United States a couple of years ago, they actually adopted the same definition as they planned out their new standards. And if you haven't gathered from the last few comments that Dr. Sanic has made, she is originally from Canada, grew up in Canada, and <laughs> obviously what you're doing is really neat stuff. It's things that people who are in the field are going, this is really good, and people maybe who are amateur aficionados or have children who they want to be active and they want to, to encourage them to have physical literacy are going, wow, this is good stuff. I've never heard of it. My local high school or my local middle school doesn't do it. How did you start out on your path to getting here? So were you athletic growing up? Were you athletic in college? Or at one point, did you say, you know, movement is part of what I need to do for my life and for enhancing the quality of my life and people around me? You know, I think being born in 76, I was lucky enough to be raised at a time where a kind of free range kid where you we were really outside. I grew up in rural Nova Scotia and I'm one of five children. And my mom actually was in a car accident when she was quite young. And so she was scared to get her license. So she was a stay at home mom. We were in the, lived in the country, but she didn't get her license till she was 37, but she had the five of us by the time she was 30. So her and my dad had their children really young. And so we were outside growing up in rural Canada. And it's funny because the definition of physical literacy is competence and confidence to be physically active, wide variety environments, and then parenthesis, land, snow, ice, and water. So, you know, I grew up on a lake that in the winter became ice. <laughs> and I was only six miles from the ocean that we could ride our bikes to. And I was only four kilometers to a little ski hill. And so it was just accessible for us to move. And it was normal for us to move it wasn't even that we were kicked out outside or that we never wanted to be around. It was just, we had a big yard. There were a lot of kids uh, in our little community and we're all around the same age. And so we would have road hockey every day after school or we would go for bike rides. And it was just, we were allowed to move. And we, you know, of course kids are born to move and that was never stripped away from us. And so it was very important to me to be active. I just, it was not something I really thought about. And I played a lot of sports growing up. I was also actually a Highland dancer, which at the time in my town, a lot of girls play ice hockey now there. But at the time, girls couldn't play hockey. There was no team for them to be on and they weren't allowed to play with the boys. And so a lot of the, and a lot of girls still do. But the Scottish culture in Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia, of course, means New Scotland. And so there was a lot of Scottish culture there and it was normal. And so I was a Highland dancer and I played soccer and I, I did swim lessons 
and I would skate recreationally and I would ski recreationally and I would uh, play volleyball and run cross country. But a lot, I was never the best, but I was good enough to be a university soccer player. So I played in Canada's NCAA, which is called the U Sports now. It's gone through a couple of rebranding since I even left. Uh, so I played soccer and I majored in physical education. And part of that was just, you know, I went to a liberal arts school in my hometown and it was a, one of those things where I wanted to come out with something that I would be employable. I didn't realize that I was going to love teaching and coaching so much. So it, it has been always been a part of my life. And I'm very grateful for that. As, as, I, as I travel, lucky enough to go to Switzerland and travel to these wonderful places for work. And I think, you know, physical literacy is what got me here. And that is also a, a great point because I'm not the best athlete, but on my physical literacy journey, the friendships that I've made and the, how the world was opened up for me because I am embracing that journey, I think is really interesting. And I hope gives people in, motivation or inspiration if, if they're listening and they're young and they're like, I'm not the best at something. It's actually been, I've been lucky that I wasn't. <laughs> That's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, for my other podcast, Fit Lab Pittsburgh, I interviewed a lady who is running a local running club, mm. and her son is 15 and is a runner. And she talked about how the when he started running cross country in junior high school, he was always the last place finisher overall. Mm. And then she said the next year he just kept at it just because he enjoyed running, even though he wasn't getting the quote unquote recognition as a quote unquote winner. Yeah, And he moved up and got a little better. And she was all excited yesterday because the day before, her son at 15 had, for the first time in his life, beat her, beat her in a 5K. And she thought that mm -hmm. was great. And the son was really, really upset. And, you know, Mom, are you going to still run with me? <laughs> so I think what you're, what you're describing and what she described in that interview is playing or moving for the sake of moving – and that's enjoyable if you find something you like to do rather than parents being in the aspect of saying, okay, you're seven years old, pick a sport, and that's the sport you're going to have to do. Yeah, you know, and I hear it all the time as a as a parent. I hear other parents say to me, oh, yeah, well, we're not doing community soccer. You know, so-and-so is just not a soccer player and they're six. And I said, you know, there is no – there is you can't predict someone's skills at six whether it's going to be at 16. There's that thing called puberty that big black box <laughs> that we just don't know. And the research is very, very strong on that. And so even by gently suggesting that to people, they're like, oh, wow, you're right. I said, you know, would you ever say your kid's never going to be a good reader because he or she's not a good reader at age six? Or would you understand that things take time and practice and, and exposing them to different genres? And even when we get asked to do oh, when, if the team is going to do a spring league and I say, oh, no, we switch to this in the spring with our kids, people are curious as to why that is. And, and I really explain to my own kids, we will keep doing this until you're 14 or 15. We'll keep, we'll keep switching you into something else there. And it's a priority to us. And I said, you just got to trust us. <laughs> but I can't believe when you were saying that I didn't mention my dad, who I started running with a lot when I, I was a, in my late teens and how special that was. Uh, to, to run my first marathon and him be there at the finish line. He finished ahead of me. And now 
you know, I'm 41 and he's 70 and I'm now faster and, and seeing that kind of transition, I felt really sad when I was faster. Cause I was like, is dad going to be, and he was so proud when I, I don't think anybody was happier when I ran Boston a couple of years ago than, than him, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's neat that that happened to that lady and that kid. And I'd love to know from that kid, what, what made him enjoy it? You know, I'm really curious. I really want to know, like, what made him enjoy it when he didn't perceive himself to be successful? That's that's a great question. I know, and I really like what you said. Is somebody's not going to know what they're good at at 16 when they're seven? Because I was the seven year old kid who was phenomenal at soccer, mm-hmm. and I became an average soccer player. And then when I went to college, I was a junior varsity NCAA Division three soccer player, which means I wasn't very good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it means you are good, but in the grand scheme of it, I mean, and this is, and, and as my friend who was really trying to run a sub three marathon, she ran it and it was, she finally, not finally, but when she did it, it was three fifty nine or two fifty nine fifty seven or something. I said, like, Suzanne, you know, what are you going to do now? And she said, well, nothing really. I mean, no one's going to like me more. You know, it was, it was kind of anti, it was a personal thing for her, but I loved sharing that story with students and kids I was coaching as I'm like, no one's going to like you more. Like this is about you and your goals and what you want to get out of this and what, how you want to, the effort you want to give for your team and your community and really helping to hit that message home because I love that. And if they do like you now because of it, you really don't want to be their friend. (laughs) I think it's really great that you say that, and I'm appreciative of Sam for recommending you for this podcast. Uh, an earlier person who's – I'm not sure if they'll appear before or after we air your podcast, but Dr. Bill Buskus, who is a friend of mine who trained for his first Ironman with me, and at the end of the race turned to me and said, you know, that was fun, but I enjoyed the training more. Yeah. And I think what you're doing with your kids and what you're doing with uh, Move, Live, Learn is you're teaching people to enjoy – the process where the activity is the process rather than getting the, what's so common in some sports is the participation medals. You learn just moving and enjoying moving for the sake of moving, whether it's yoga, whether it's running, whether it's just going out and hiking in the woods. And I think that has long-term benefits that your kids probably are saying, why can't I play spring soccer? And you're saying, just trust me. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, I mean, I won't claim to be a good parent. It's very humbling. <laughs> but this is something that, and, and my husband, uh, who actually was a, he was a all American wrestler division one in college. And he is the similar, we actually met whitewater kayaking, which is kind of cool. Uh, and so it's that same, same philosophy. And if I, if either of us ever start like, uh Oh, you know, she's really behind and whatever, we're just like reel the other one in, which is really great. And neither of us feel like we need to rewrite our athletic achievements <laughs> with our, through our kids. Like we know that a happy kid who wants to get up and feels confident to learn how to snowboard at, at 27, as I did, or I learned how to surf at 31, you know, that's, that's really all we can, I mean, that's pretty cool. Like I would rather that than the best on a team. I would rather someone living life and enjoying the blue sky and making those choices than like sticking her in indoor all all winter when they could be outside. And I know in the second part of the interview, I want to discuss that a little more. I want to to find a little more about your story. You've given us up to college. You were a college soccer player and I suspect you get, you gave us your age. So at that time playing professional women's soccer probably wasn't an option because there probably wasn't 
something so you didn't have to come to the realization of, oh, I'm good, but I'm not quite that good. Yeah, but I would have been there anyway. I would have realized that. You know, I'm pretty objective. (laughs) I was, I I would probably, I would have no problem saying I'd probably be the fastest six miler on the team um, and the best cyclist on my soccer team, but I wasn't, I wasn't pro soccer caliber. And unfortunately, unfortunately, they also (laughs) require the ball for soccer. So, (laughs) so you, you graduate from college, you have a degree in physical education and mm-hmm. I know because I have the advantage of having read your bio form that you filled out to us prior, you did go to work as a physical education teacher. And I, in, in no way to downplay that for, for what anybody does, because I think the great physical education teachers really start that movement literacy young. But a lot of people, they're like, I'm done with school. What made you say, you know, I can do more, and I don't mean more in a better way, but more if this is what I want to do differently, by progressing beyond just becoming – that really good local coach and physical education teacher who sends hundreds of kids to college who enjoy to move whether or not they're successful athletes. You know, I think it just came down. I was just a really overachieving kid and I was, I was very, I'm very internally motivated, intrinsically motivated. And I love to learn more. And I am also, I know what I don't know. And I think what was happening, the title of my master's thesis, it started with nice is not enough. So I knew that I was a nice teacher and I, I mean, I taught some really talented like children. <laughs> I mean, if you've heard of Russell Wilson, I taught him PE for four years. I, I was at a wonderful school in Richmond, Virginia, and they sponsored me to come down and, and they also paid for my master's degree at Virginia Commonwealth. And I was there for five years and I loved it. I just needed, I was single and I was 27 and I knew what I didn't know. And I had an opportunity to attend the University of Virginia on a full scholarship. And so I remember talking to the head of school and he said, you want to always make a move when you're on a peak. You don't want to wait for a valley. And he said, this is a really unique opportunity and a full ride there is a pretty great gig. And so I knew that I I loved teaching and I loved coaching and I loved the school. The collegiate school was a, was a wonderful community. I, I was homesick and I was young and I was away from home and everybody, there wasn't a weekend. I wasn't invited to a family or a colleague's home for dinner. And it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful time of my life. But I also knew that I didn't like a lot of what was going on in physical education. I didn't like the such standardized fitness testing and things. I just thought it was quite frankly, stupid. And I know that data is so important. I'm a researcher. I do research for a living and I love research and I, and I know that data is important, but to put, to take the fun out of movement for kids when we see them so little and, you know, PE teachers, some only see their students once in a six day cycle. So why am I going to take several of those days each semester to assess how far they can reach? We, we know kids can't reach far. We, we know they're not cardiovascular fitly fit. We know that, that they're not flexible. We know that they're not strong. So why the hell do we do these things in physical education when we could be teaching them to love movement and, and to feel confident in moving in a wide variety of environments, land, snow, ice, and water. And so I wanted to study more. And that's why I chose to move on because I thought if I can ha- help these kids, I was naive, really. If I can help them love to move, just think if I had 30 university students every year 
and they went out and helped their 500 students each year. And I really felt I'm an I'm optimistic and I'm an idealistic person. And I thought that I could do that, but I didn't raise those 30 students. So I, I quickly soon realized that they could be well prepared, but whether or not they, they reach their potential really wasn't, that wasn't me determining that. So, um, so yeah. So, <laughs> so then I was a professor back at my alma mater in Canada after I finished up at UVA, which was really a dream gig because it was in my hometown and it's a position that probably comes open once every 30 years because there's one physical education professor in the province. And it's the one school that certifies physical education teachers. And it's a great school. St. Francis Xavier University has a wonderful reputation in Canada. It's a wonderful place. My three brothers are there. My parents are there. But my husband was not there. And so after three years of living distance in our marriage, we were kind of like, okay, you know, this probably isn't the most sustainable way to go through life, but it was fine because then we, we joke with each other. Like, it's a good thing. We're both athletes and, you know, we get that you stick with it, like that commitment and everything, you know, everything sport can be the vehicle for us to learn so many lessons. And it's such a wonderful, it's, it's so used in so many analogies, but they can teach bad lessons too. And, and you don't have to drop. And there's a lot of bad things at cheating and doping and everything in sport. So sport but sport has the power to develop youth and so in addition to the movement piece which is of course so important is the the youth development piece and using physical education and using sport as a way to teach about commitment and dedication and desire and values you know the things that you know i think of Jackie Joyner Kersey i my company we took her autobiography and we turned it into youth curriculum that pe teachers or youth coaches or after school recreation programs can use to use movement as a way to teach kids how to get out of their current situation you know when they have the opportunity to do so and that's that's really where i am with it like i don't care if a kid in 8th grade is going for a brisk walk and is, is doing it for health benefit and with friends because they enjoy it. I just, or as opposed to a run, like, I don't care about that at all. And I know some people might look at me, but, and think, wow, you know, what a softy, whatever, but it's not, it's about, I want to see the sidewalks that I ran on this morning. I want to see them packed with every different body size. You know, I don't want it to be odd that I'm up out there at five forty-five in the morning. You know, I want that to be normal. And I believe right now you're in the St. Louis area and how, yes. how does the, what you see and what you're, you see with your kids, coaches and teachers, how is movement in the St. Louis area similar and or different from what it was where you were growing up in Nova Scotia? Well, St. Louis is a really, it's an interesting place. It's, um, you can't really generalize one school from the next in St. Louis. I'm sure this is like a lot of us cities particularly in these fly in the flyover states but st louis the disparity between the wealthy and the poor is is huge it's absolutely huge and so what might be we have chosen to put our kids in more community level sport as opposed to the competitive track they're six and seven our oldest kids and we have a one-year-old and so i am actually the soccer coach so i would like to think <laughs> they have great coaching <laughs> I coach with some awesome guys, um, but I, I am the only mom out there. And the guys that I coach with are actually phenomenal. And at this age, it's about equal playing time. We all have different roles. 
It's about small-sided games, lots of touches on the ball, working hard for each other and for themselves. And so we can win a game and be disappointed with our effort and we can lose a game and be very and walk away feeling, you know, standing really tall and that's really what we're trying to teach the kids. And I the uh, the head the lead coaches are wonderful guys. Uh, then my husband teaches the coaches them wrestling, but you know, we, this isn't that we're like trying to control everything. It's that we volunteer our time. We believe that sport should be affordable for all. I don't believe that a certain model is going to change the way we, any country does in the Olympics. I think the best model is mass participation in affordable sport so that we have more numbers and more people can find truly what, you know, what is best for them and enjoy that and have success with that. So we, in the youth wrestling club, we don't, he doesn't let them do tournaments the first couple of years. He just wants them. It's a, it's a movement. It's a movement really sport that has some wrestling components to it, but he wants them to learn how to do a diving shoulder roll. He wants them to learn how to do, you know, climb the rope and all of these kind of thing. And the, and it's all, it's games based and they have a flipping blast. I mean, these kids are in there for an hour. They are dripping sweat. And all the parents email me, the new parents every year, the first week, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how quick he fell to sleep or she fell to sleep that night. So that's real cool. Um, but in terms of, I'm sorry, I got off. The, the teachers are phenomenal. My kids' teachers. Our principal is very supportive. She increased recess for every grade level this year. And this was not me going in and fighting. It was me going in and thanking her for her service and seeing how we might help to make sure that all the kids have the best opportunity to learn and, you know, get their sillies out and their wigglies out. And, uh, she created, she opened up a little bit of wooded area that the kids used to be not allowed. She's only, she's a new principal to the school. Now the kids are allowed in there to learn other subject areas during the day. We're now going to look at some trying to get some crosswalks and uh, some sidewalks so that kids can ride their bikes safely to school because we say they're lazy. And I say this in my keynote presentations at state conferences, but kids aren't lazy. It's just adults are stupid. You know, we build these roads and we don't put sidewalks on them and they're busy roads. They're, there's no shoulder. It's, it, it's not safe. You know, everyone's on their phone distracted and, I'm not about bubble wrapping my kid, but a little bit of fear. I'm not going to put her out in traffic when it's not safe either. So trying to come up with some, you know, common sense solutions. And I'm trying to get the PTO to buy the principal. She just got a standing desk and I'm trying to get them to purchase a, uh, a treadmill for underneath her desk. She works really, really hard and she's a wonderful person. And I said, there's a hidden curriculum and there's an overt curriculum. If the kids see Dr. Deacon, walking while she's answering emails as they drive by at night when the, her office light is on at the school, it sends a powerful message to them, you know, and, and so often we talk about kids health and opportunity to move at school and we forget that we don't, we don't let the teachers squeeze in a workout. You know, why can't they leave on their lunch break and go for a run? So there's, there's a lot that I think we could do just common sense stuff and treat professionals like professionals and not treat the teachers like their kids, you know, um, they're going to prep. But let them prep at night, you know. Um, so, so we live in a in a really wonderful community, in term, and we live next to a park. And we are very, very fortunate to live in this community in terms of giving our kids a, a childhood with normalized, you know, activity. And my second kid goes to actually the only forest school in the state of Missouri, so she's in the woods all day, at least twice a week as a kindergartner, where they just. They'll be learning their letters and words, but they're drying it with a stick in the mud. So that's pretty cool. 
I think two things you hit on. First of all, the principle with the standing desk. I'm actually <laughs> at a standing desk right now. And if you can't quite raise the money to get a treadmill desk, look into a device, which I'm actually standing on now called a fluid stance. It's like a slightly more stable wobble board than what you see in physical therapy. And it allows them to move around a little bit, kind of shift their weight while they're working on the computer. It was a. Cool. It was originally an Indiegogo project, and I got that in my standing desk at the th same time, thinking, "Well, sometimes I'll sit down, sometimes I'll stand." And I found the standing desk has stayed standing, and the wobble board gives me enough moving around that I'm getting a little bit of activity. So if somebody saw me, they would maybe think I was having some sort of a seizure because I'm talking to you right now, <laughs> kind, of, kind of wobbling around. Hopefully, it's if I ever so learn to surf, <laughs> that is so cool. I I. I uh... I didn't have my treadmill on because sometimes it makes a loud sound. It's not really loud, but I didn't want it to <laughs> disrupt the thing. <laughs> but uh, sometimes then I'm on the call. I'll get on the call and I'll have it on and then it'll be going and people will be like, are you moving? What are you doing? <laughs> and I think what you really hit on where you were talking about the changes that were made in your school and whether this is for children or adults who are working in an office is you were not one of the people who said, well, it's not fair. The kids don't move around enough. You made the decision to get involved and say, hey, this is a problem. I'd like to do what I can do to help. And in some cases, the people in the positions of power may say, no, you can't do that or be threatened because in essence, you're saying what you're doing is wrong. But in other cases, and it sounds like with the principal in this instance, they recognize that there were a problem. They were probably exceedingly grateful that somebody also recognizes the problem and says, hey, what can we do to help? Yeah. And, you know, it was great because I have a nice relationship with the superintendent, which stemmed from me as a, before my kids were in the district, just speaking at a at a school board meeting about about this topic. And well, it actually, it was a sports specific topic. But I went and I thanked them for the service and I appreciated what they did. And my tone was not uh, angry or argumentative or it was just, you know, these are these this is the research of why I think you ought to consider this decision again. And, uh, the superintendent called me into his office and we, we had a, we have a wonderful relationship now. And he actually invited me to speak to all of the principals. And so I, I, that was, I guess, almost two years ago. And then one of the principals in the room was then transferred to my daughter's school. And so she knew, she knew right away that my heart was in the right place. And I had a nice relationship with the superintendent and we're, we're close. I don't know. She's, she's just a wonderful she is a wonderful person. And, you know, they all got into it about the kids. I mean, they, they care about the kids, but it's a lot of times they're making decisions. They have so many people saying to them, we need these scores up. We need to get this first, you know? And so they, they're, they don't quite understand how the, the fact that less, less time in the classroom can be more outcomes, you know? So it's just, it's, it can be discouraging, for many, many people, if, if you don't have a positive school leader who really cares about kids and, and who, but also I think parents need to realize we do have a lot of, uh, imp, we can make a lot of headway when we look to partner and collaborate as opposed to resist and, and gripe. <laughs> it's easy to gripe. It's hard to make changes. Yes. Yeah. And it takes time. You know, I've been here five years five and a half years. So it's some of these things I, I met with some aldermen about a safer route to school. And so 
they're working on it, but it, but it does take time. And so it's like, okay, I get it. I get that it takes time. And I really appreciate that you're working on it. So it is, there are a lot of, I think the more we're all involved and just, it's easy to sit back and let other people to complain about other people's efforts. But the more we get involved in, in our own communities, then the more we can get it back to the way it was just a couple decades ago. I always say the goal of physical education isn't just to have people who want to move their bodies, but it's that the engineer in our class grows up and refuses to build a bridge unless there's, you know, a walking path and a bike lane on it. You know, that's physical literacy. It's, it's using your journey to make your community better. We're talking to Dr. Amanda Stanick. She is the owner of Move, Live, Learn, a physical literacy company. In part one of this interview of Moving to Live, we've learned about how she got from Nova Scotia to St. Louis, Missouri, and how she's working to make physical literacy not only improves the movement of kids and adults, but also improves the community. We're going to come back in two weeks and talk to Amanda and find out more about Move, Live, Learn, because I'm sure that her story is very interesting and atypical from the typical person who earns a doctorate in the physical movement field. So Amanda, thanks for joining Moving to Live for part one, and I'm looking forward to talking to you in part two. Awesome. I look forward to it, and thanks so much for your time, Ben. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.